Hello, and welcome to Unsheathed with your hosts, Kyle Gold and Cam Hirosaki. We hope that you enjoy the program. Please stick around afterwards. There'll be cake and blowjobs. Hello, Smithers. You're very good at turning me on. <laughs> uh, you should probably ignore should that. probably ignore that. <laughs> You've been reading my wish list, sir. <laughs> Smithers, you know that dream where they're flying in through the window? <laughs> Wait, I'm, I'm just sitting here doing so my So this is where check. you are, visiting your sick mother? <laughs> Don't do this now, John. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's the other way around. Oh, yes, right, right, right. John, so this is your yeah. sick mother. Yeah. Like, don't, don't do, do this, this way. Man. <laughs> I know the Simpsons. <laughs> now we can never say that only straight people have been in this house. I've been recording. Have you really? <laughs> uh, so I guess our sound's all right. Uh-huh. All right. Well, cheers, everyone. And welcome to Unsheathed episode number 54. 55. That's right. 54 was the one we did like three times the other week. Um, I just like to point out that Kyle is not the one who has been drinking. I'm, I am uh, sober Kyle Gold. And I am 98% sober Kim Hirosaki. 98 and 44 one hundredths. That's still an A+. Plus. Uh-huh. Yeah. Absolutely. I would not have Great any other Great A rubber butt. Grade double A. Ooh. I, I, need, I want to know I need, is how I need, like, you get the job of the inspector that applies those grades. Ooh, that's a good question. I was going to wonder, like, can I get, like, an eBay ranking, like, A++? Only two pluses? If someone only has two pluses, I'm not dealing with them. Oh, you need, like, 11? They have to have, like, a whole <laughs> row of pluses across before I'll trust them with my, you know, antique Mickey Mouse lamp. Wow, that's worse than the the vote skewing on Yipstar. Uh, I'm not sure. That, I'm not sure. I agree with that statement. Oh, because Yifstar doesn't allow you to put in. No, there is no Yifstar anymore. Oh, that's true. Well, I mean, like, because if you're on eBay and like everyone's like a like quintuple plus or more, like, what does that really say? It was like how somebody did like a breakdown of like story scores on Yifstar. It's just like, yeah, like your mean average score is like four point seven out of five. So really, what does it tell you if a story has five stars? Well, I think that's true, but I don't think it's necessary. I don't. Why are we arguing about this? Because I'm belligerent. I don't know. Uh, I'm not belligerent. Anyway, uh, we have a we have a confirmed date where if you enjoyed hearing us argue about whether eBay is worse than the If Star, uh, you can come watch us in person and in uh, San Jose. Sort of southern San Jose. That's California and not the one in Central America. Right. Um, San Jose, October 23rd. Uh, we'll put an address out on the website when it gets a little bit closer. But we've confirmed the date. It is, for those you know in the area, it's the Monoceros Media Studio. Tugwork is quite happy to loan us his workshop for the purposes of a live podcast. And we should have enough room to accommodate the ones of fans that will be <laughs> flocking to South San Jose to come visit us. If we hit double digit attendance, I will be very pleased. Including Kit. No, I say that not including Kit or like people who live in the house. Yeah. 
I'm not even sure all the people who live in the house are going to be there. Probably not. Uh, we have Rain First coming up. This episode should be airing the week before Rain First, I believe. So uh, come out to Seattle. Come see us Friday night at 9. We will have more fun. I don't promise that I won't argue with KM about bizarre website trivia. But uh, we will at least have a an entertaining surprise for everyone. And... It doesn't involve me being pantsless, I don't think. Although that would be an entertaining... It would be entertaining, <laughs> but I don't believe it would be a surprise. <laughs> it would be to me, and that's the important thing. <laughs> that's true, although it would not be the most entertaining surprise you've had on this show. No, it would not. <laughs> it's been a little while since I brought that up. Yeah, yes it has. <sighs> You should have seen his expression. The dreams. Oh, the dreams. Speaking of me being pantsless, I do have this cocktail concoction that Kit gave me. I actually have no idea what's in it, and I haven't even tried it yet. For all I know, it's a roofie colada. If things suddenly go from being now to four in the morning... I like only have half my clothes. I guess I'll know. It's all right. You'll always be able to listen to the podcast to find out what happened. Oh, snap. Whatever it is, it's delicious. Oh, that is good. I think it's got blueberry vodka in it and chocolate liqueur. And uh, is there anything else I'm missing? Simple syrup? No. Oh, Grand Marnier. That's right. I was like, there's a third flavor in there. That's good. Do we have a so name for this drink? We'll have to come up with one. So it's sweet and fruity and it goes to your head. Kind of like us. Yes, kind of like both of us. <laughs> and, uh, I don't know, Kit wants us to talk about what projects we're working on. Um, I'm three, two-thirds, uh, somewhere between two-thirds and three-quarters of the way through Out of Position 2. With the goal being that I'll have the edits done in the next week or so, and I can then pass them off to proofing last stage folks um, at some point. Hopefully in the next couple weeks, I'll be meeting with the artist about the artwork. And I believe most of you people already know who the artist is, but I'm going to be coy and foxy and not say it on the podcast in case people don't know. Then they can get all head up about it. And a kerfluffle. Yeah, but uh, we're hoping that um, by the time, uh, I would say actually by the time the live show rolls around, we'll hopefully have some pieces of artwork to show off for it. Oh, nice. So maybe at the live show I'll unveil the title, and maybe we'll have a cover sketch or something by then. And plus we have the awesome secret, isn't that Rain First? Right, we have the awesome secret project for Rain First. Which is not the same as my secret project. Which no. is still happening. Yes, actually. Yeah. Um, so most of that's what I've been working on is out of position two. And I have a dabbling in a couple other things. I'm trying to get some stores together for heat. And actually, by the time this airs, the deadline will be over already. But Yeah. I'm going to see if I can try to do something by then myself. And so I'm sure you all already know. The tight deadline is uh, good for me because it will ensure that I don't ramble because I won't have time to. Right. Plus, writing for deadlines is kind of fun sometimes. Because when you don't write for a deadline, like in the case of Summerhill, 
you spend a year working on something and then you're just like, you know what? I'm going to start this all over again. Like I just did the other day. Um, that is not a cause for dismay. It is a cause for hope. After writing this thing two and a half times already, I kind of finally have an idea of what the hell it's supposed to be and where it's going. And I should, I should point out starting all over again does not mean you're throwing out the entire story and no. just starting to write it again from scratch. Right. I'm um, just yeah. writing the beginning over again. Yeah, and but in the course of doing so, I will likely rewrite the bulk of the rest of it. Just because the way I write is really self-referential. And so if I change anything, it kind of has this domino effect. I'm mm-hmm. going to I'm going to talk briefly about something that I'm doing without a position this time, which I've not done with previous novels. I did I had previously like for out of position I read most of it to Kit, but I'm not sure I took copious notes while I was reading it. Um, This time I read about maybe half of it to Kit, and I was taking notes while I was reading it about the way things sounded and the things I wanted to change. And I've reached, I'm past the point now where I stopped reading it to him and he started reading it on his own. And so what I've started doing is I'm reading the book out loud to myself as I edit it. And it's really kind of startling how when you do that it forces you not only to listen to how the sentences sound but it forces you to go slowly enough that you read things like oh wait i know that you know this thought was connected to this thought but that actually works better at the beginning of the paragraph rather than at the end of the paragraph because it leads in from the previous. And because when you're writing kind of free flow, your thoughts jump around. And when you're trying to write a character monologue, yeah. it's sort of like, oh, I should go, I should go get ice cream. But, uh, well, I don't know. It's, you know, so far to the store. And then you're thinking about other stuff. And then you come back to thinking about ice cream. And then, and you're like, no, when you're writing, let's just sort of organize it all. So all of these thoughts are in one place. And then it moves logically onto the next one. And it's just you know, a smoother a, experience for the reader. You know, a similar thing happens when you're translating. Oh, I, I bet. Yeah. I mean, when you spend enough, to, especially if you're, if you're doing it for long stretches of time, when your brain is thinking in two languages at once for too long, you know, in my case, you know, translating into English, like the English just sort of starts to not make sense after a while, but you don't notice it. And, wow, Kyle just made a mess all over the table. It got very foamy. It's a very, wow. <laughs> he looks so guilty, too. <laughs> I wonder if the... My ears are all down, I wonder if the microphones picked that up. <laughs> I don't know. Kit didn't notice it, so... But yeah, so I'm still working on Summerhill. I'm working on at least one other short story. Uh, there's another short story that I haven't started writing yet, but I need to start soon, and I can't talk about yet. And there's the secret project. Technically, and, both of those are secret projects, since you can't talk about the other one. Yeah, well, but one of them is one of them is your secret, and one yes. is not your secret. Yes, I know. Anyway, I need to. <laughs> you need. I, I think but my pop secret. I think you. I think you started last week, so I'm going to read a letter while you're chuckling. Dear Descabarded Folk, a writing question for you. I think that it's common for there to be a warm-up period at the beginning of a writing session when you're getting back into the narrative and the pace of writing. Then the barriers drop and you're in the zone, pouring out the words back in your authorial voice relating with the characters. I was wondering if you have the same experience and how much time both of you typically need at the beginning of a writing session to get into that flow. 
does the warm-up time decrease as you become more experienced as a writer? I've found I can shorten it by thinking through things before starting, for instance, while walking to where I will be writing. It seems to help me get into the right mental space more quickly once I actually begin typing. In any case, thanks again for your insights and charming commentary. Squeaks Nicodemus. Well, is Nicodemus talking about writing or having sex? <laughs> like, first you have this warm-up period where you kind of just need to ease into it, and then eventually your barriers drop, and then you're in the zone. Wow, I, my mind actually didn't even go there. I'm ashamed my to say. My mind usually doesn't go there. I blame Kit's Rufi Colada. His delicious, delicious Rufi Colada. This is actually something that I know a lot of people have trouble with. Um, and for my part, I found that I can usually sit down and just start writing stuff, but it goes a lot more easily if I have been thinking about it. And I'll think about the kind of things that I want to write during the day. And then when I get the time to actually sit down and write them, I've got some momentum already because I know what I want to put down in the story. I keep wanting to say put down on the page, but it's not really a page. Uh, it's the proverbial page. It's a digital page. Right. So, yeah, definitely. I mean, thinking about it beforehand really shortens that time. Yeah. I don't have much of an issue with that before, but Kit thinks I'm a mutant that way. So, Yeah, I definitely have a warm-up period and a zone that I get into. This is why I sort of need to do like my whole like zone of solitude thing when I'm writing, because I my brain just i can't write and have anything else going on at the same time other than like listening to music or you know occasional whatever but like if i'm in the same room as like people talking my mind will just go to listening to the conversation and not on what it is i'm writing and what i'm supposed to be thinking about to write what comes next um which I think I'm, like, the anti-Kyle in that regard. Like, if he's a mutant freak who can write while doing anything, I think that I'm just, like, super crippled and that, like, I can't do anything but writing or it just doesn't work. Yeah. Which is why well, slow still, office days were great for writing. I still have to have my headphones on whenever we go out to the coffee shop. So. Oh, yeah. Um, but I I like having music on anyway. And I have to go to the coffee shops with you, because if I don't, then loud girls sit down next to me and start yammering away. And even if I do go with you, they, they still come. Well, that's true. But I at least offer moral support. Not as bad as last night when I was out to dinner with Kit, and this couple sat near us with the screaming baby. It was like being in an airplane, only we couldn't <sighs> put on our headphones. But, uh... <laughs> Does it get easier the more you do it? Once again, uh, stretching out my analogy more than I need to. Um, you are very stretchy, as we not saw. Not that stretchy. I'm really not. Why are you doing your Lovejoy voice for that? Because <laughs> I'm embarrassed. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm not. I'm What's not sure. happening? I'm not sure your analogy works that well. Actually, no, it doesn't. I'm not sure. Because well, that means that the better sex you get, the less time you have to spend on foreplay. It's just like, bam, I'm there. And you really don't want to be there ever. And, and also, that's not necessarily true. A lot of people just still need that foreplay, even though they, they're really good once they get going. I understand. I, you know, and the, the foreplay's fun. Well, yeah. And that's sometimes half and, or more and of the, the fun. And the warm-up to write Dep is fun. Depending on how long your <clears throat> fuse is, sometimes foreplay's more than half the fun. I mean, the, the warm-up to writing is fun, too, because that's when you get to play with the story in your head. You're not constrained by grammar. You're not constrained by syntax. You're not constrained by how fast you can type. 
it's just the the action and the scene and the characters all it's all happening in your head and you can unfold it like a movie at whatever pace you want and you can roll things back and push them forward and see how it works and and then you sit down at the computer and finally all your limitations and shortcomings come to the forefront and exactly. cripple you although like somebody taking say, a hammer to the fingers they Sorry. This is this is possibly a weird thing that I do. I know a lot of people visualize the their stories like movies. And I do that a little bit to some extent, but as I'm doing that, I'm also thinking the words I'm going to be writing and sounding them out in my head. So Yeah, I do like with turns of phrase and Yeah. No, I do that too. You look for the right sentences and things, so. Yeah. I would say definitely um and we've said that we've said this before, sort of spend your time when you're not actually sitting out at the keyboard, you know, think about the story whenever you can. That makes it easier. And apparently, if you think about sex whenever you can, it makes that easier, right? Oh, it makes thinking about sex easier? <laughs> or, I'm going to move on to our next email. I think we should. Dear Canaan Podcasters, I have been reading a lot of books on writing. Several have gone on how important conflict is to a story, and how without it the story is boring, uninteresting, and pointless. See, The Phantom Menace. (laughs) Yes. Sorry, I just watched those again. (laughs) It's true. Uh... I know how much you feel about characters, so I suggested that... uh, So I suggest that while characters are the story's soul, conflict is its heart. If this is the case, then does erotica need conflict to be interesting to the reader? I've been reading several mainstream erotica anthologies, and there's a distinct lack of conflict in many of them. Also on the top, on this topic, I recall one book saying that sex can be used to do anything else for a story. Introduce characters, introduce conflict, serve as the climax, or as the resolution. On introducing conflict, the most obvious is to have the conflict spring up from the sex. Sexual problems, disputes about the sex in question, discomfort, etc., but what about outside conflict, that is, conflict unrelated to the sex in question, rearing its head in the sex itself and becoming present? What are some ways non-sexual conflict can manifest in the scene? Boy, howdy, if you don't know how unrelated conflict can come up during sex, you haven't been in the right relationships. I, I was going to say, one of, my, one of my favorite scenes on this topic is in the movie Parenthood. Oh, God. You remember right at the beginning of the film, mm, it's wow, Steve Martin and Mary Steenburgen are trying to make love, and Steve Martin cannot stop thinking about their kid who's having problems in school, and it's just very funny because they'll they'll be cuddling and sort of going moaning a little bit, and then he'll say, "So what if he's a little high strung?" And she's just like, oh, "Let it go. We don't have to deal with this now." Or that episode of Friends we were watching earlier, where Chandler and Monica want to have sex, but they're babysitting Rachel's baby. <laughs> Well, sure, if you live in a sitcom. <laughs> but it's still a story, and there's still conflict there. Yeah, there true. is a non-sexual no? conflict element that is taking place during the scene. That's very true. That is legitimate. Yep. yep. I wouldn't want to have sex with a baby in the room either. That would be creepy. Especially not gay sex, which is the only sex I'm going to be having. Not in front of a baby, ever. What were his other questions? <laughs> <laughs> so he's saying that, you know, oh, we're all on about characters, and... That's not to say that we dismiss conflict. Absolutely not. I would never want to write a story without any conflict. Conflict well, is because yeah, character growth comes yeah. from conflict. Yes, char- character growth is what like the story is about. But conflict is the method for how the story develops, and it what it's what keeps the story interesting. 
like if you're just like writing a story about somebody who's awesome like no matter how awesome they are if there's nothing conflict related to happening to them it's a boring story right that's and that's storytelling 101 right there and i will note that erotica in some ways is a little bit of an exception to this because the point erotica in sort of its most base form i don't mean base as in crude but i mean just sort of at a simple yeah a pure simple erotica story is just about describing the act of sex yeah it's just about something intended to be kind of hot yeah and then there was fucking right yeah the way a lot of people write erotica is they build on the sex and while the sex is still the focal point of the story there's other stuff going on yeah and i mean the issue doesn't need to be about the sex that's being had. It can be about any number of things. It's sort of like how we must have talked about on the podcast at some point, but I don't think we've mentioned it in a while, uh, about how in a love story, the other, like the subject of romantic interest serves as the antagonist. Right. I mean, like they're not the quote unquote enemy, which is, or like how antagonist is sometimes defined in simplistic terms. I mean, clearly they're not, but they are like, they're the opponent, basically. I mean, like, you need to... Well, they're the, yeah. they're the opponent because the goal right. of the protagonist in the story is to establish a relationship with that character. Right. And usually that character is the one, either a character quality of that person or the character of that person themselves are opposing the relationship. Right. And because they have if, to figure if, out if, how to the, overcome yeah. their objections and succeed in having a relationship. Right. Because, I mean, if the main character, if like your protagonist is like, hey, I want to have a relationship of this type with you, and the love interest goes, okay, sure. That's not really a story. <laughs> but an example where that was done well, I actually have an example where that was done well. It was in um, a Goofy movie. Oh my god, wow. Bringing back the old school furry. Old school furry. Welcome to Grey Muzzle Cast, folks. Although, you know what's funny is I bet even the younger furries who listen to this are like, all like, sweet, goofy movie. If if you've not seen a goofy movie, it's surprisingly good for a Disney direct video Um, Was it direct? Yeah, it was direct. No. No, it was in theaters. It was in theaters. Yeah. Right, right. It was it was made by Disney TV. Right. It was not made by Disney Features. Because then they went um, on to do Goof Troop. They, um... They do a very nice sort of misdirect on you, where it starts out with Goofy's son being mm-hmm. kind of a class... He's kind of the cool nerd type. And Which is why I think furries identify with this movie so much. Yeah, and he's trying to get a girl who's not super popular. She's just a sweet girl, and he's like, oh, she'll never notice me. So he plans this whole scheme to get her to notice him, and you're thinking, okay, that's what this movie's going to be about. It's going to be about the kid trying to get the girl. And then she comes up to him afterwards and was like, Hey, that was neat. You want to go to the dance? Yeah. It's like, wait. You're like, wait, like, what? That works? <laughs> that never works. But then the rest of the movie is him. It's about his relationship with his dad, but also about him living up to the person that she expects him to be or that he thinks she expects him to be. So it actually does that really well. Yeah. I'm also, also, it's, got, thinking, it's also yeah. got a possum costume in it. Yes, yes it does. Who needs a hug from Lester? I'm also thinking about uh, you know Scott Pilgrim. Yeah, where you've got you know Scott and Ramona, and you know they they establish their romance pretty early on, and then the conflict there is completely external and really bizarre. But I mean, 
they are still like dating. It's not like oh he's trying to get the girl. It's more like well I have to do this to keep the girl kind of right. They've established interest. Exactly. There's other obstacles keeping them apart. It's not right. the traditional romantic comedy. Yes. Oh, it's not the traditional anything. <laughs> no, it's not. But it is a very fun movie. It is. I want to see it again. I hope it's... Is it still in theaters? I think so. It must be. It we, needs to make we have, more money. We have an audience of one here, I should mention. Yes. He's, he's confirming that Scott Pilgrim is still in theaters. Who I believe we have to thank for like the best Merlot in the world earlier. Oh, no. Well... Kitten and he—they're—they're they're sort of sharing. They're both—they're both deferring to each other. So I guess I'll just thank them both and say that yes, it is the best Merlot in the world. I quote about it quite enthusiastically earlier. Um, yeah. So, so to wrap up, what are some ways non-sexual conflict can manifest in a sexual scene? Um, whatever non-sexual conflict you have, hmm. I mean, sex is sort of the most intimate thing two people can share with each other until we develop telepathy and whatnot but um the any external conflict you have can be manifested in yeah. that intimacy so you do this all the time and out of position where it's the stuff that's going on in the rest of their lives that's all like taking place and it often yeah actually probably more so in out of position too than the first one but still in the first one I don't um, want to get yeah, too specific if people haven't read it yet. And all the clear examples that are coming to my head are from the sequel, because I read it more recently and nobody else has, so I can't say what they are. Uh. <laughs> I, I will say, and I think I, I think I mentioned this in, uh, I think I mentioned this on the live journal, that I do have one scene in the sequel that everybody who's read it has said, I don't, I know I shouldn't find this hot, but I really do. Yeah, I know exactly what scene you're talking about. And that actually also serves as an example of the point I'm trying to make. So good job. A plus plus. Plus 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 plus. Anyway, hope that answers your question because we're moving on to the next one. Hey guys, several episodes ago I almost responded to your brief debate on ebooks. Hirosaki san seemed skeptical of their relevance and or awesomeness. But then I realized there was nothing to debate. I like ebooks, and so does Oprah. Are you going to argue with Oprah? Are you? That's my backwards Oprah plane dream. <laughs> wow. I don't even remember what that's a reference to. Anyway, I have an actual question this time. When you're conceptualizing your work, do you ever have trouble deciding what medium or venue would be most appropriate for the story? I recall that Hirosaki-san cited Summerhill as a project that started as one thing and became another. However... I find that I'm often conflicted over the format. Should it be fiction, a screenplay, comic book? Before I've even started. As a result, I have countless ideas in limbo. This is especially true of my stories featuring anthro characters, partly, I think, because I feel obligated to produce a company and artwork, so the presentation is sometimes limited by my developing skills as an illustrator. He sells himself short here, as we'll mention yeah. when we read who this letter's from. Do you have any advice for getting past our creative inhibitions and finding the right format? I'm also curious to learn what other storytelling forms you've attempted or how you've overcome similar frustrations. As always, I appreciate your insight. Blender. I like getting emails from Blender. I, I do think too. Blend They're always I, very thoughtful. And Blender has a great understanding of like craft as a concept. Yeah. And I think that this is exactly what this is about. Is sort of, you know... And the, and the fact that you would be in a headspace where you would consider multiple media for what you're doing just shows that you have talents in more, uh, you know, more directions also, than I do. Also anybody who doesn't 
no blender stuff should check him out on fur affinity yep. i think it's just blender is his username yeah he's just blender and uh check out the um uh diego lebowski comic that he <laughs> yes. did Recreating scenes from the Big Lebowski with characters from the Dog Days of Summer. Yes, and I think it his, was I think his Shadow funny. Fox story is on there now too. Uh, I think it is. I like his Shadow Fox story, and if I, he's he and I have have corresponded extensively for a few years now, and you know I, I'm familiar with a lot of his work because I've like read, but I don't know how much of it's public or not. So go to his site, check it out. You'll yeah. see it's there. He's cool. He is. Um, I think being of more limited scope of talents than you we probably don't struggle with that question quite so often i know that um part of my whole impetus to get published was so that i could trick artists into drawing the characters that i was writing about (laughs) um that kind of worked out pretty well so sort of like how i accidentally got black tegan to illustrate one of my stories oh yeah it's like oh yeah like your artist fell through so here we'll just give you black tegan like what? <laughs> <laughs> you couldn't see the epic flail I just did on the microphone, by the way. It was quite epic. My, my Not quite Scott Pilgrim epic, but it was pretty epic. <laughs> An epic of epic epicness. Um, but uh, it is a real interesting question, because I've had story ideas where I thought, you know, this is definitely... Mostly my conflict tends to be between short story and novel, and that's more a question of how much development do I want to put into it, how much time do I want to spend getting to know the characters, getting to know the world, or is it just a single point-in-time thing that happens? But I've also had ideas and worked with uh, screenplays, and it's really interesting having worked with the two formats. You can really see how some stories are much more suited to a screenplay. Yeah, Like, I don't know... I don't know how I would make a screenplay out of out of position. I would have to. Yeah, need to cut a lot of the. I'd characters, have to cut a lot of it a lot out. Of the side plots. I'd have to streamline the story. Um, probably give it a bit of a different focus. Yeah, and it would just, it would just be pretty different. One of one of the things that we have been playing around with, which we had not really talked about much. Who's this? Is, we. We is me and Kit. Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, not... Elaborate for the audience. I don't want people putting onus on me for this. <laughs> I owe them enough that I haven't followed through with. Um, we've actually been dabbling in putting Vol into a screenplay format, or stage play format, or radio play format. Something like that. Something where characters speak lines in turn, and, and that's the story. And that's been real interesting, too, because a lot of the book had to be cut out. Um, most of the prologue had to be cut, or most of the, the early stuff had to be cut. Um, it starts with him already in Devalia, right? Yeah. Yeah. And, but I found that Vol worked a lot better because the novel itself is already very stagey, kind of. It's broken it, it up much better the into act, scenes. The, so say, the, the, the scene and act breaks are very traditional narrative. Yeah. Much and, more so than Out of Position or Waterways or any of your other books. And, and partly I was interested in doing that because it gave me a chance to fix one of the narrative problems that I have with Vol, which is that nothing happens in the first act. Um, but He has sex. Right. It's, Vol is much more an erotica novel than I think any of my subsequent ones have been. Oh, if you put it next to Shadow and you can 
Yeah, see what a difference a day makes, really. Or five years. <laughs> it was five years if it was a day. <laughs> no. It was. Um, so, uh, I don't quite know what our plans are for that yet. I think we want to maybe produce it as a radio play um, first, but then, I don't know, we'll see what happens. Anyway, that's been yeah. a lot of fun, and it's been an interesting education in what uh, what the different formats offer. Yeah. If you want to dig into the ancient past of Hirosaki uh, and go back to my story compilation, uh, Mercantic, there was a period for about a year where I was convinced, like, oh, this would make a great graphic novel. And I was sort of, like, as, like, a side project trying to see if I could, like, rope anyone in to be, like, the artist on it. And since there was no actual traction going on it, I started just thinking in my head, like, okay, like, just in theory, how would this work? And I realized that it really wouldn't make a very good graphic novel at all. Mm. And that's why I stopped before I got anywhere. Because I'm like, like, yeah, you know what? The more I think about this, this is actually, like, a really, like mental introspective piece that wouldn't really get a lot out of being illustrated. Basically you'd get to see things, but not understand what was going on in their head without just throwing a bunch of text on it. And at which point the pictures aren't doing anything and you're losing a lot of the text, which means you're losing most of the story. So at that point, okay, this should just stay as a textual story. So that's, I guess one way to answer your question. How do you know what medium it belongs in is what sort of story are you telling in, how would it be best conveyed? I mean, yeah, and yeah. wanting to put illustrations in with a story is not does not necessarily mean that it can't be just a novel. Right, it's become kind of the standard in furry publishing to just de have illustrated novels or to have illustrations with your novel. I guess. Um, so, my my one concern with your letter is to say, don't let the ideas sit in limbo. Start them in one format, and if it doesn't quite feel right, then move to another one. But whatever format yeah. you're most comfortable with, just you know, start going along. Yeah. If you need to draw the characters out a little bit um, before you get a handle on writing them, then you know, make some uh, concept sketches, and you can probably learn something about the characters from the yeah. way you draw them. Like with Summerhill, like I wrote it as a short story, and yeah, you know, for a short story, it wasn't a huge time investment. Uh, and then I had it, and just like, yeah, like short story is not a big enough medium to hold all these ideas. It's like trying to put 20 pounds of story in a five pound bag. Does 20 pounds of story weigh more than 20 pounds of gold? Oh, whoa. Hey now, <laughs> don't lead me down that road. Um, as I think about it, I'm just like, I'm trying to think of, okay, like if summer Hill were a different format, I bet you could probably do it as a graphic novel. Yeah. Cause there's, there's a lot of work. surrealist imagery and, uh, you could convey a lot in facial expressions, I think, especially with Summerhill himself. I but really again, it would be a little different. Yeah. You wouldn't have some of the neat turns of phrase you use. Yeah, that's true. It is. It would be different, but I bet I could. It could still be done. I don't want to say I could do it because a I have zero graphic novel writing experience, and b I certainly can't draw it. Um, but oh god, like if I do end up getting this as a published thing, where it'll have like a cover and or illustrations, like. Part of me wants to just like commission a character sheet for the character of Summer Hill, like right now, because I really want to see what he looks like. There's people that will do that. Yeah, no, I know they are, but I'm just like thinking about like how good of an investment that would be right now. Although, generally, I think you kind of have to tell them what he looks like so they can draw him. Oh, yeah. Well, I could give a description of him, but 
I just want to see him with my own eyes. My mind's eye doesn't count. My mind's eye's not that good, which is why I'm a bad writer. No, um, Read another letter. Okay. I think we, we I think we answered blunders. Uh, yeah, I think well so. There. Oh, as for like what else have we done? Oh, yeah, you mentioned doing the stage play thing. Yeah, I took a screenplay writing course once, and uh, it was... Yeah, I, I got a lot out of it. I don't think I would ever sit down and write a screenplay myself, like just in whole, but no, there's that. It, a lot of the stuff in there just applies to story. It's good storytelling. Yeah, it's good storytelling. And it also makes me uh, more qualified to tear apart movies that are badly made. Because, you know, hey, I took a screenwriting course once, which means I can rip you a new one. Protagonist. <laughs> and Kevin Bacon. <laughs> So our final letter. Hello, esteemed writers. First of all, I just want to thank and congratulate you for doing such a wonderful job with this podcast. Thank, thank you. you. That being said, I will move on to the real letter. Same as the fake letter, but with 80% more sugar. And not HFCS. I just started listening to the podcast a couple weeks ago, and have not yet caught up. <laughs> and have not yet caught up with the most recent installments. That being said, I apologize beforehand for any questions that may have already been addressed. I just wanted to chime in with a few things to get your opinions on an issue that has been bugging me for some time now. But before I get into the question, I wanted to share my experience about being a writer and the effect it has had on my relationships. I've had previous relationships in, what my par- in which my partner wanted nothing to do with my writing, so it was a part of me that I kept out of the relationship. It wasn't an easy thing to do, and I'm not entirely sure that it did not share uh, a part in the relationship failing. However, on the opposite end of the spectrum, I am currently in a relationship with someone who has told me on many occasions that he loves the fact that I write. I know that I have a support in my endeavors. Help- I know that having a support in my endeavors helps me keep writing, and his. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I didn't read these letters beforehand. Can you tell? And his understanding attitude when I get grumpy due to extended bouts of writer's block is more than I could hope for. Having someone in my life that genuinely cares about my writing on a personal level has been enough motivation to keep on writing, even when I think I should just give it up and move on. That's awesome. Thanks to my rudder butt, I will keep writing and working towards my goal of getting a novel completed that is good enough for publishing. I just want to break in there and say congratulations. It's great to find someone like that. And yes. certainly you you folks out there all owe probably a lot more than you would imagine to the presence of Kit in my life as far as producing works and uh, getting stuff out there. I, too, have been in relationships where people didn't care about my writing, and these are also all past tense, so make of that what you will. I, too, am in the future. <laughs> Actually, our listeners are in the future. We're in the past. Oh, yeah, we're, we're the gray muzzles. We're always stuck in the past. That being said, I now come to the aforementioned question, and I would greatly appreciate your views on it. I'm a sucker for happy endings, uh, so you must not read my stuff, and making sure that things always turn out right for my main characters. Again, probably not a big fan of my stuff. However, I've come to realize that in order for my characters to grow, and for the sake of the plot in my novel, that bad things are necessary. Without obstacles to overcome, there isn't much conflict. How do I detach myself from my characters enough to write situations and outcomes that might not be ideal for the character? I don't want to simply torture them, but pain, loss, and inner conflict are necessary for the story. Is there any way to help remove the protective bubble that I, as a writer, tend to place around my characters? 
Thank you for your time and for the hours of entertainment you bring your readers and your listeners. Best wishes, Thane. Uh, no, torture your characters, seriously. Um, your story's not going to get anywhere until you make them miserable and they have something to strive for. Um, think about the stuff that you've had to deal with in your life. Think about the failed relationships, the stresses that you went through with your other partners who didn't care about your writing or whatever other stresses contributed to the end of those relationships. Um, think about how it felt for you to go through those, but also how it felt for you to come out the other side and know that whatever you're doing to the characters, it's, it's perfectly fine to have happy endings. Yeah. Um, you can put your characters through conflict and I think it becomes easier if you put them through it knowing that on the other end of it, they're going to be happier. Like you can start out with a character, you know, typical love story. You can start with a character in a relationship that's not good for them, but which they're reluctant to leave for some reason or another. That relationship comes to an end, which is sad and stressful and hurtful for the character. But you know that you're doing it. And the more pain they go through, the better it feels when they come out the other side. So if you think of it in those terms, um, it becomes a lot easier to do horrible things to them. So not to bring up Star Wars again, but it is actually a good example in this situation. So, okay. Luke you Scott- struggled with that for several seconds. I, I was. I see that in your face. You're so, like, okay. Luke Skywalker. All Luke Skywalker wants to do is go out and get these droids and bring them back to his farm so that, you know, he doesn't get yelled at. And when he gets back, his family has been burned alive and he, like, finds their charred corpses. And now suddenly he's being pulled along, you know, on this quest. And he's got, like, Obi-Wan Kenobi, like, the one guy he can, like, lean on for anything and basically like the whole rest of his world hinges on him sticking with obi-wan kenobi and then he gets like cut down right in front of him yep and so now he's an emotional wreck because of that but he still goes on to save the day you know he, but that and that's what yeah. motivates him exactly that pain is what pushes him the loss of his family the loss of obi-wan is what pushes him to do the extraordinary things that he does do and they never fully make up for the loss right but the the ending of Star Wars is a happy ending. Exactly. Despite Unless the you're the Empire. <laughs> as, From a storytelling perspective, Star as Wars a is a happy ending. Trust you to take the side of the Empire. Oh, well, only because I don't want the ISB coming down on me. That stands for I'm, Imperial Security Bureau. I'm, I'm back to news radio again. <laughs> In tragic news today, the Death Star was bombed by terrorist rebels and blown up. Fortunately, Lord Vader escaped with his life. Our hearts go out to the families of all the Imperial Guards killed in the space station. Do you know that within Star Wars canon, the Empire explained away the name Death Star was like something that like they came up with in commemoration of all the Imperial citizens who had been killed aboard it? Wow. And so like this was the sort of thing. It's like, oh, like just like this horrible tragedy that happened to us. That's really entertaining, because I hadn't thought before. I mean, it was yeah. just a space opera, so it's called yeah. the Death Star, but I hadn't thought, if you're actually a government trying to rule a bunch of people, why would you name your big ship the Death Star? That's very yeah, entertaining. Um, 
Wow. But yeah, no. Um, my, now I'm spending several seconds thinking about Star Wars too. Look what you've done, thing. Look what you've done to our podcast. No, seriously, like the reason the I, don't bring, actually write, I don't I don't mention Star Wars all the time just because I'm a Star Wars nerd. It's because it is such a textbook case of storytelling and you know heroes journey and all these things. Well, and also because everybody's seen them. Exactly. It's a, it's a baseline. I can talk the, about Star Wars and assume that everyone knows what I'm talking. The about. early ones are good examples, and the later ones are bad examples. Yeah, so you exactly. Have the whole spectrum right uh-huh. there. Yeah, and like conversely, if you look at, you know, the Phantom Menace, like you're saying, like nobody really goes through any hardship in that. Nothing's really at stake. I mean, Qui-Gon dies at the very end, but up until then, what has Obi-Wan done? Nothing. Right. He doesn't do anything in the story at all until that point. And, and, and then he just really... kills Darth Maul because he's angry and he just and, killed his master. And we don't really see much bond between Obi-Wan and Qui-Gon at all. No. There I mean, we're told about a lot of stuff, but yeah. we never really see sp- it. Well, they spend most of the movie apart. Yeah. So, yeah. Again, anyway. bad story writing. Yeah. Um, but no, to, to elaborate my first point where I say no, just torture your characters, I don't literally mean torture them, but yes, they are your characters, but the way I look at it is you want to have your characters earn happiness and not just have them be handed happiness because it feels a lot more satisfying. Exactly. Um, and another way to say it, back when we were talking about conflict in um, Rashawn's letter, mm-hmm. conflict is the way what, when you're writing a story, you're writing about a character taking a journey. And I think I've talked before about the device that you see in a lot of amateur storytelling, which is oh, you know, Joe protagonist is just kind of settled in his life until something happens to make him go on a journey. And it's very difficult to get characters out of their life to pursue a journey. So right. a lot of these fantasy books begin with the families being killed or, you know, the throne yeah. being taken over and, and all this. But, I've sort of strayed a little bit from my point. Um, The character's journey is about learning something new. And learning something new and growing as a character. And learning something new is much more effective when it's applied in the real world. And so what you want is you want to give your character a choice. You can do things the way you used to do them, or you can do them the new way you've learned how to do them. And the best way to make those choices, and there has to be a lot at stake in the choices. It can't just be, yeah. you know, should you sort your CD collection alphabetically or by, by album title or yeah. by artist, because that, that doesn't make a difference. But the question is, you know, should you... Yeah. I, I, I'm okay, the, the drawing a blank on it pretty well. Where it's like, look, like something's going on. Like, yeah, you know, like, actually, like, like, good, like, the world, example. Yeah, like the world is not what you think it is. You, we can either send you back to your old life and have you not know anything about this, or you can commit yourself to seeing this through. And that is—it's it's a very—he he very literally hands it's very literal him a choice. choice yeah. yeah, you know, take the blue pill, take the red pill thing. Yeah, it's and not exactly the character arc, but no, um, but but, but it do. is that sort of you, the, the character begins their journey because they're willingly making a choice to undertake it. Right, and like you know, it's not like oh, we've killed off Neo's family and now he has no choice but to do it. He decides to. Because right. he's presented with this, and I mean, I guess, and he's he's presented with the stakes, really. I'll so. I'll, I'll use I'll use out of position as kind of an example. Um, 
out of position at the core is about honesty and communication, honesty with yourself. Right. And it starts with a couple of characters who are both being dishonest about who they are. In a very sexy way. But in yes. very different ways. And the book presents Dev. Dev is more the main character of the first one. The book presents Dev with a choice to continue to live in the way he's been living or to make a change in his life and choose a path that requires that entails more danger but also entails more honesty right and that choice has very real consequences there's a lot at stake for him and it's a real world choice it's not like dev suddenly you know people say well hey you should uh you should be more honest and open with people or do you want to just keep being private and being yourself? And he's like, yeah. oh, I, I think I should be more honest with people. And then yeah. the book ends. Like that, yeah. That, like, and that conflict is never succinctly spelled out like that on the page, which is good because if it were, it would be kind of lame. Right. <laughs> It'd be filmed as an after-school special. Um, but that's the kind of thing that you want. You don't want the conflict to be purposeless. You don't want, right. as 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 you said, you don't want to just torture your characters because. You like seeing him suffer. Well, you do, but <laughs> but it always has a purpose, and the purpose is to make the character make a choice, and to make the choice reveal something new that the character's learned, right. or a reinforcement of what the character already knew. You can start out with an honest person whose honesty is being tested mm-hmm. through conflict. Um, there's uh, Wall Street. Oh yeah, is a case of that. Where you start out with a character who's honest, is drawn into the world of crooked finance, and shown all the benefits of it, and tempted, yeah. and he has to make a choice. Does he go with the crooked people and have the, the high life, or does he take the more difficult, honest path? I can't believe they're redoing that. Oh, uh, they're not. They're doing... Well... Oh, is, it a, is it a sequel? It's a sequel, yeah. yeah. Okay. It actually looks kind of... It looks kind of interesting. It does. And it has Scarily a good cast. Um, although I didn't like the first one very much, but... But it served in as a it, good example. Yeah, it was a good, it was a good example there. You don't need to like something to be able to appreciate the merits of it, which is another point that I think that our readers should understand. Yes, you don't. You don't have to like something to be able to appreciate it. But that's probably a discussion for another time. Yeah, that would be an um, interesting one to have. So, uh, Thane, uh, I've actually, um, I, I've read a couple of Thane stories, and he's uh, he's got a good handle on on narrative and telling a story. So it's okay. interesting. I'm interested to see what he does with, uh, with conflict with his characters. Okay. Um, but I've seen his name pop up before, but I'm not familiar with this stuff myself, but you know, at the heart of it, there's a very basic way to break down a story. Your main, a, a very simple story, simplest story plan. Your character wants something. There's an obstacle. He has to figure out how to get around the, the obstacle in order to get what he wants. Right. And then you can play with yeah. millions of the variations. Complexities on that. of the themes built on that. How no. he gets around the obstacle yeah. shows you what kind of character he is. Right. Then there's like the difference between what does the character want versus what does the character need. Right. Yeah. And the difference between want and need is the want is the tangible goal, like it's the high school girl who wants to win the beauty contest. Right. And the need is the sort of more, the less tangible yeah. character part, which is out of position, you know, is girl, a good example of this. The girl needs to know what to. She needs to learn to appreciate her inner beauty and not you know, blah blah blah. 
And then you also have, you know, the opponent who symbolizes the wrong way to go past the obstacle. And the way the character goes past the obstacle is symbolizes what they're learning. And they can not achieve their goal, but in not achieving their goal, they still succeed in becoming a better person and completing their character arc. Uh, which, you know, there's Rocky is the movie that's the best example mm, of that. Yes. Um, Good call. I actually, actually one I've not, I've never seen that movie, but I won a $5 bet with a coworker once about how it ended. Um, really? I did. Well done. So in summary, conflict is important and it is integral. Don't, don't shy away from it. You're the, to sort of directly answer your question again, you know, the more pain you cause the character, the more earned and the more valid the happy ending feels provided you do it right. Right. You know, as opposed to just, Oh, you're tortured and then they get set free and like, whatever. So there's right gonna, and wrong ways to I'm do things. I'm not going to go off on another ranty tangent. I promise. All right. Well, as always, thank you for the letters. I feel like, I feel like we had some really good discussions. Yeah, tonight. I did too. Um, write to us unsheathedpodcast at gmail.com. Um, follow me on Twitter and live journal as Kyle Gold, K-Y-E-L-L, Gold. Uh, and I'm on F-A just as Kyle. Though I haven't posted anything there in a while. And I'm just Cam Hirosaki on all of those. And uh, we will be coming at you live from Rain First. In just a couple on of weeks. September 20, uh, whatever that Friday night at 9. So, okay. 20... 20- Eighth is a Tuesday, so Monday be twenty seventh. Well, it's two weeks from yeah. So today's the tenth, so it would be so the twenty fourth. Although that, no, that's right. We're uh, going to have yeah, to that's use right. math. Um, yeah, so it'll be September twenty fourth, nine p.m. Sometime somewhere in the Marriott Hotel. Look for the con schedule, and we will have a an extra special surprise there in addition to just our two presences at the site where we had our first live podcast. Mm-hmm. If you recall that we turned the adult writing that, panel yes, into the live podcast and we was, had no idea if anyone was going to show up. That was up. one of the happiest surprises of last year for me was how, it was super how awesome. well it went over. It was. And we met so many cool people at it. We did. And we'll see probably many of them there again. And yes. hopefully many new friends. Too. Please come back. Tell your friends. Let's let's double pack that room. Yep. Like a red like an fox otter. between I was gonna say like <laughs> a red fox between a fennec and a gray fox. Well done, sir. <laughs> We're going up Hayward, going down on Hayward. <laughs> I got a I got a tweet about that today. Someone was like, I'm only eight pages into bridges and already there's a three way. And I'm like, Well it's kind of says it right there on the cover, doesn't it? But maybe not explicitly. Anyway, we will see It's you. called Bridges because he gets stabbed full of dicks. <laughs> no. That's not why it's called Bridges. <laughs> That's just one of the 87 layers of why it's called Bridges. Say goodnight, KM. Goodnight, KM. <laughs> Keep writing, folks. <laughs>